Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe Indiana doesn't exist anymore. I think they realized that it was just really annoying to have a separate phone line just for one state. And maybe they just like forwarded that phone to one another <laughs> this is a good question julia is indiana still a real state are they like is there gambling issues there she said yes so oh, how does julia, julia in there julia left indiana so like how does she know if it yeah exists still exactly oh you're right she left there so she's not there she doesn't know yeah uh, actually when she left is when they took the gambling number like it makes you wonder indiana out so yeah it really does. All right, everybody, welcome back into season three, episode nine of the Brews and Burns podcast. These are your least favorite regular hosts back on the mic tonight. I am Cam Hasbrick, joined as per kind of usual by Chris Gear and Drew Johnson. Chris is making a real ruckus back there, but it's all right. We're still going <laughs> to just get right into things. He was trying to make like a beer cracking noise with this bottle, and instead it was just like jingling <laughs> of the bottle. <laughs> Went real well. There you go. It's well, like someone was like ruffling through their keys. <laughs> like, hey, let's start recording, right? Everybody shake your keys. That's going to be great. It'll be fun. Uh, it is officially 100% hockey season here in New England now uh, with the elimination of the Boston Red Sox. All of Fenway faithful are now turning their eyes toward TD Garden for what promises to be very interesting Bruins season. We are going to get to more on uh, some early thoughts just four games into the season at this point because of a weird schedule, uh, which we can also discuss a little bit more. Yeah, the NHL had schedule conflict, scheduling conflicts, and that conflict was... <laughs> Against uh, the Bruins. <laughs> no, it was just like their people doing the scheduling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, a little behind as far as uh, early season thoughts go when compared to a couple other teams. I mean, it's only a difference of a couple games, but at this point, that's a, that's a big fraction of what's been happening so far. So, uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but first, as per tradition, let's get to some beers here. Chris, I know you had something... Uh, in season you wanted to feature here so what you got going on oh yeah baby all right i've got the elysian great pumpkin imperial pumpkin ale cam just disappeared that's good stuff I'm here. welcome back cam yeah um that's what happens <laughs> so this one is 8.4 percent alcohol it's part of the elysian does like four uh, pumpkin beers and they put them in a variety pack and i like almost all of them so uh, I haven't had this one yet this year, but you can give it a go. All right. So this is an interesting one from the perspective of not at all what I was expecting it to, I guess, like not, not necessarily taste like, cause it does taste like pumpkin, but the, the feel is, is weird because it's an 8.4% beer. You think like Imperial Pumpkin Ale, it's going to be maybe like a little bit of a darker beer. Yeah. You know, you get a little bit more of that alcohol flavor or some sugar to balance that out. It's not really all that sweet and you don't really taste the alcohol all that much. So I could see this being pretty dangerous if you're not really looking at it. If you're just like, oh, I got this beer in my hand and I don't really know what it is. Um, Tasteability, it's, I would say, less than expected. But like it does have a nice subtle pumpkin flavor to it, so I'm gonna give it like a 18 tasteability with the Nathan, Nathan Horton, um, and then drinkability. That's a oh, man. I don't know what to do with it because I mean you just took several sips. Yeah, I, I, I know <laughs> that it's drinkable. Like this is shockingly drinkable, but I also know it's dangerous. Um, that so should be I, their slogan. Yeah, shockingly drinkable, but. It's dangerous. Um, yeah, I'm going to go 34 for drinkability. And I think that's the highest I've ever gone with something over 7%. 
Yeah, is that is that like given the percentage and the, or is that just out of all beers, thirty four? Out of all beers, thirty four. Oh damn. Yeah, nice. I mean, I, I would say don't drink a lot of them, but you probably could. You wouldn't you wouldn't get sick of this flavor. It's not overwhelming. Drink um, responsibly. Yeah, uh, this is a good beer. This do is, as uh, we say, not as we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good beer. Awesome. Elysian. The Great Pumpkin Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Um, all right. Well, I, I think I just got a little bit of a look at what Drew is drinking. So I'm just going to take the thread here and kind of keep going with our fall vibes. I've got a Harpoon Flannel Friday, uh, seven, sorry, 5.7%. Uh, part of a Harpoon variety pack I picked up recently. Uh, we've talked about Harpoon plenty on the podcast before, but I think a pretty good macro brew. Not huge, obviously, not your. Your Anheuser Busch or anything like that, but not a, a small brewery either. Uh, this is a hoppy amber ale. Um, kind of lives up to its name. I mean, sort of where Chris was drinking something that maybe was a little unexpected based on what he was uh, expecting going into it. This is kind of right on the notch. Um, it, it looks like it is. It's a it's a hoppy amber ale. You taste it and you're like, wow, that's a hoppy amber ale. Nothing really um overly fancy about it i don't think that's a knock on the beer i think it's pretty good um and i think for like a again for a variety pack and something like this you kind of want some fall vibes you know what to expect you're not going to get surprised by anything like that so um pretty mild fairly dark taste it definitely uh, has a dark red orange color to it which reflects in the flavor it's got that kind of classic dark amber flavor a little earthy um, a touch of sweetness in there, but not like a citrusy sweetness like you would find in some IPAs or something like that. It's definitely more of a like a fall feel to it for sure, which hence the name. Uh, and it's getting perfect here because we are finally getting into true flannel season in Maine. I saw uh, Sunday River, my mountain of choice for skiing, got their first snowfall, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, last night. So we're getting into it really quick up here, and uh, I'm very excited. So. Fall doesn't last terribly long around here. It's a quick little beautiful stint. And then, uh, you know, peak peak foliage hits and all of a sudden you got snow. So take it in while we can. Yeah, before we get to Drew's beer, I want to jump in on that because fall is something that also doesn't last very long in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, if at all. Um, in, in the other direction. And man, I wore flannels all week last week. It was excellent. Nice. Um, I... I don't have a ton of flannels in my closet in San Diego because they kind of they don't get used enough. Yeah, <laughs> it was nice to take them all out and give them a spin. Um, and then I, today it's 60 degrees and it's raining out. And man, it's it kind of sucks. Like there aren't a lot of uh, drawbacks to living in San Diego weather wise. But one of them is that the fall season kind of takes place in everybody else's winter season doesn't really line up with spooky season which is kind of annoying a little against um, the grain yeah yeah so it's really nice to have a just perfect shitty fall day uh in the actual fall yeah a little bit of a different uh, rainy in 60 is probably a little bit of a different perfect fall day than what a lot of new england <laughs> here it was like it was like 30 40 and uh and also rainy here today i think it was like 40s 50s actually but yeah i've had a nice couple days here uh, I'll send it over to Drew in just a sec, but first, drinkability. Um, not overly high. I think that's, I don't know if it's just me, but amber beers like that kind of tend to be on the lower side. So I'll give it like a 20 uh, taste, probably a 18. Nothing that jumps out at you, but reliable uh, and good beer. So if you're feeling like a a fall flannel Friday vibe, then go pick that up. I will say that sounds directly up my alley. Yeah, it was. Uh, calculated choice i was going i took my first sunday off in a while this week to just i wanted one like classic football sunday right in the middle of fall and uh picked up a and variety you pack. got this one of the probably, worst days of football of the year i did i know i it was even supposed to be an easy blow for my rams against jared goff and the lions but that one ended up being a little bit closer than than intended but i guess um, that was those that, that was like the fun game of the week though there yeah something like that this week yeah i know i noticed that after i took the day off and i was like all right i hope there's good matchups probably should have looked at that beforehand but it was kind of more of a scheduling thing than uh you know what games are on but i did work out with the bruins matinee game at least so i got to watch that and stuff and uh, I got an air fryer recently, so I started. I did a couple types of wings, some homemade wings and stuff. Rocked some uh, some buffalo chicken, some Thai chili, some garlic parm, and uh, you know me, Maryland guy, and classic Old Bay rub. Old so, Bay. 
it was uh, an astounding success, actually, better than I expected. So if you need uh, if you need any wings, just fire an order my way. I got you. Astounding success, otherwise not how you would describe this podcast. <laughs> yeah, actually, given astounding. the expectations, <laughs> given the expectations we had for it, yeah, I suppose so. Drew, what you got? Anyway, um, I got a beer. Uh, <laughs> it's a Jack's Abbey uh, house lager. Um, they're out of uh, Framingham, Massachusetts, 01702. It's a zip code in case anyone needed that. Can you, for can you repeat that one more time? Yeah, it's uh, Cam's phone number is, um, <laughs> no, it's uh, 01702. Uh, that's oh one seven oh two. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a lager. I'm not a huge lager guy, but uh, my girlfriend shouts to Julia. Her father came and visited us this weekend, uh, and he left this in our fridge. And uh, we double checked with him to make sure it was good to. Uh, I don't know why we'd save it for like six months until he's back. So, uh, but yeah, I owe him a beer now, though. Um, but let's see. Left in the fridge, beer tends to be good beer usually because it's usually yeah. free. So. Free beer is good beer. It's a 5.2%. And disappointingly, I'm getting a lot of like Bud Light vibes off of this, which I was expecting it to be a little heavier, a little more tasteful. Um, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw the bright blue can, I thought you were drinking Bud Light, which was very outside the realm for you. So it's a little, that's why I kind of kicked you to third here in the, in the beer reveal. I, Bud Light might be a little too harsh, but definitely tastes like a Budweiser. I don't know if yeah, my I'm taste buds this, have gone bad. As, as far as lagers go, there isn't a whole lot of variation. Yeah. I think if you get a craft lager, it's going to taste mostly like a mass-produced lager. There are some like solid hoppy lagers if you find one like that. But really, I've, I've found mostly across the board, they're pretty much the same. Yeah, this is a, a golden lager. Um, but yeah, so... Definitely a little disappointing. Drinkability, I mean, highly drinkable. It's definitely light. It's a five point two percent. So drinkability, I'll go. I'll, I'll give it a twenty-two. Uh, tasteability, uh, I know if I'm ranking it on taste, it's pretty low. But tasteability, you can taste it, but it's it's disappointing. I'm gonna go like a seven. <laughs> All right. Well, an a disappointing beer you can taste, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> It's so fitting for the podcast then. And now we have a brewer coming on from Jack's Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did you do right now? Uh, feel free to come on here and defend it if you're listening to it. That, that would Jack's be Abbey. so funny. We need to have the uh, the white pumpkin beer brewer come on and just <laughs> what yes. what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> they might be featured in our uh, our next episode, but we'll <laughs> more on that in a little bit. But um, so yeah, we're getting into. You know, it, it, I don't want to say the the real hockey season. I mean, it is the real hockey season at this point. But, um, you know, obviously just four games played at this point. It's being recorded on Monday, released Tuesday. So if you're listening later in the week, you have a little bit more to base it off of. But uh, a slow start for the Bruins. And I think with a lot of the question marks and new faces this year, uh, there was already bound to be um, just kind of an uncertain start. And I think an expectation that the team was going to take a little while to kind of find an identity and, I think having such space between games, I mean, a nine-game break from the last preseason to the opening one, and then immediately three days off after that. And then you get every other day for a few days, and now you've got two days off once again. So it's been a slow, just four starts in their first 10 or 11 game, or days. rather. It's a weird start for a team that is already going to make up uh, or have games in hand on the league, and I think it's going to stay that way for most of the season. Uh, I think that mostly kind of reflected in that Philly game. You could tell they kind of got into gear for opening night in Dallas, and they looked a little bit rusty in that second one against Philly after the layoff. But I think since then, it's been a pretty promising start for the Bruins. Um, I think we maybe we'll just kind of jump in and kind of break down like forwards, defense, offense, or forwards, defense, goaltending, what we thought, any early season impressions. Uh, our our classic four games into the season ranking, which is uh, of course of a huge tradition here on Bruins and Bruins. We've been doing it for years, even though we've only existed for less than two. Um, but yeah, anybody want to start? I mean, we'll start off with the forward core. Uh, I think the obvious thing has been uh, the first line kind of picking up right where they left off. Brad Marchand, especially uh, who Heart I think everybody, yeah, everybody is uh, is repping. But I, I will say, Chris was the one to really toss his high, his hat 
into the Marshan ring as as maybe probably the best Bruin uh, on the team right now and certainly one of the most offensively yeah, uh, not gifted. To, not to brag, but when we were doing our last year, we did like our mm-hmm. top 10. That's kind of what I'm giving Bruins. you credit for, yeah. Okay, yeah. T- top 10 most important Bruins, and I put them number one. Um, and, and yeah, I think last year he kind of proved that that was that was the case like he i think if you lose brad martian he's the player that hurts your team the most if you don't have him yeah the Um, most irreplaceable which is crazy when you're talking about a team that has patrice bergeron as the first line center and charlie mcavoy as the top defenseman Um, and, and i think one of the things that i was alluding to last year was that um at some point there's going to be some sort of seamless transition that you don't really see um because in hockey it's really tough to to notice these things but uh, i think we've seen it happen where patrice bergeron was kind of like the center who could carry anybody on his line and make people look good and then as marshan kind of developed into that good offensive player it became those two whoever rides with them can uh can be productive and play well. Um, and now that David Posternock's on that line and you don't really need, no one needs to be carried. I think eventually you're going to see some sort of decline of Patrice Bergeron. That's maybe not as noticeable as it would be if he were trying to carry a line and you've got great players on both his wings and it's going to make it a, a lot easier for him to, you know, to still play in the NHL at his age and not really have to do as much he, as he maybe would have in the past. Yeah, I think especially with Bergeron's play style kind of being more of a a move the puck first kind of guy, having two legitimate snipers in Pasternak and Marchand will accelerate that even further, or rather decelerate that uh, that slowdown even further because he doesn't need to be the guy that's finishing all those chances. He can dish it off to his wings and. Obviously, that line has been doing that for years, but that's something that even as we are entering this kind of real final hurrah for the, the I don't even want to call it the 2011 Bruins core, but I think at this point, it's just the Bergeron era Bruins. Uh, he's still got a very effective chance of being a, a top line producer with guys like that on his wings. And so far, I mean, that, that's been the story of the season offensively. Marshan with four goals and three assists in four games. Pasternak with two and three. Um, the thing that stands out to me is Martian, all four of those goals on even strength. Um, you know, he's going to be good for at least five or six shorties as well this year. And he's going to do some work on the power play, even though Pasternak's kind of the primary target. But as far as, you know, whether so much of this team is going to live and die by that first line, which has been the story for years. And obviously you kind of have to expect that they're going to be producing at a high level and hopefully push that question mark down to the second line. Um, but again, you really need to count on that line to be productive up top. And so far the, uh, the erection line has done just that. Yeah. I think when it, when it comes to Bergeron, he's definitely his play style has him in somewhat of a supporting role there. Um, and I think, I mean, a huge part of it is the defense and how not that he necessarily needs to carry those guys on defense. Cause they're both, I mean, in Marshawn's case, a really good two way forward. And then imposter knock, especially when, I would say he's considered a sniper goal scorer. He has a good two-way game too, especially for that, you know, style player. Um, I I was watching earlier today, uh, not all of it, but there's like a 45 minute uh, video on YouTube and it's like Bergeron small, like defensive plays, just kind of the stuff that slips under the radar. And in so many of those instances, he'll pick off, he'll pick off the puck in the uh, neutral zone or prevent a zone clearing or, uh, you know, uh, get the puck out of his own end and up to those guys. And in so many of those instances, it just frees Marshawn and Pasternak up for a two on two or two on one. Um, he just, I, I think he's, I was going to say to blame, but, uh, should be credited for a lot of, uh, Marshawn and Pasta's success. Obviously they're very, very talented players and would be putting up similar numbers without him, but I think he, he contributes so much to that line, that erection line, um, and, and just such subtle ways. And I think that, I don't know who would, who would fill them, who would fill in there right now. If Patrice Bergeron got injured, you throw Charlie Coyle in there, you throw Sadika. I, I think those two could carry whoever's there at center, but, um, I don't think you see the same results if it was for an entire season. 
Yeah. Honestly, I think it's Stanika. Probably, um, yeah. Just because those two guys can carry a, a rookie, not rookie, but like young player. Um, whereas I think you need Charlie Coyle on that second line, especially with Craig Smith injured. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well, let's let's jump into Charlie Coyle a little bit. Obviously, a lot riding on his shoulders this season as uh, the expectation that he hopefully can step into that second line void f- uh, left by David Krejci <laughs> leaving this offseason. Uh, two years ago, Coyle was outstanding for the Bruins after getting picked up uh, from Minnesota at the trade deadline. 37 points in 70 games for Boston in 2019-20. Things were looking real hot until next season rolled around. 51 games played last year, just 16 points, 6 goals for Charlie Coyle. Certainly not a promising sign as the heir to the second line thrown, but uh, this is the big deal now. This is this is the real deal at this point. He really has to step into that role because Krejci's gone and uh, by the looks of it, he's not coming back because he scores like six goals a game in the check and just <laughs> crushes his family afterward. But uh, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a hot start for Charlie Coyle, but a productive start, a goal and two assists through four games, uh, considering, like I said, he only had 16 all of last season. All in Definitely one game, not great. Right? Yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. So uh, take that as you will, maybe just a hot game. or I mean, again, I don't want to draw too many conclusions from four games played, but – it's nice to see him at least uh, not start with a monkey on his back necessarily, having uh, having three points through those first four. Obviously, a lot to go there, but uh, what have you guys seen out of him so far? Anything promising, or are you a little bit worried that maybe that game was just uh, a fluke a little bit so far? I was going to say, uh, was it maybe two of those four games that Craig Smith wasn't even in the lineup because he was injured? I would say two of those games. So I think, I think, I think just I think one. It was, I think it was just oh, the just Sharks one. game. But, yeah. Oh, okay. But never mind. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's been good. He hasn't been like noticeable, which I think is a good thing in this case. Um, you're looking for him, especially, you know, it's a hangover from Krejci. You can't really expect him to just play like David Krejci and have the puck on a string um, and setting up guys left and right. But I think he has played up to par to this point. Um you know, I haven't really noticed anything that's like, oh, my God, this is the best second line center in the league. Um, uh, but I think uh, he's been good enough. And with Hall, that combo is great. I would like to see more with Craig Smith because then you got a big body in Coyle, a decent sized guy in Hall who also has that offensive ability, that shooting ability. And then Craig Smith, who just like whips around the ice like uh, there's no tomorrow. So I think that's a good combo. I think Coyle's been up to snuff. Uh, hopefully we can see a little bit more from him as the season goes along. But I mean, if he keeps playing like this, it's a, it's a decent season. Yeah, I agree. But I, I also want to disagree with your point that him being not <laughs> noticeable has been good. Uh, I think at the, at the second line center position, you kind of do need something that, you know, you don't need to be Brad Marsh necessarily where he's out there dangling through six guys and, you know, putting one top shelf, but you do want to, notice him at least on the ice. And I think, you know, the not noticeable would be more of a fourth line kind of thing where he's getting the job done defensively, maybe generating a little bit of offense. I think with him in that second line center slot, I mean, the Bruins obviously, like you said, can't expect him to step in and, and beat David Krejci 2.0 because those are humongous shoes to fill uh, or skates to fill. Uh, but obviously you want some kind of production out of that second line, especially with somebody like Taylor Hall, who is obviously capable offensively on his wing and, and a shooter like Craig Smith. So um, cautious optimism after a couple of games, a little bit of production, but I do think there's another level that we hopefully will see out of him in the, in the next few weeks. Once, once they get into a more regular playing routine, I think it's a lot of, a lot of summer legs still getting brushed off people here. So. Yeah. I think the thing you're looking for mostly out of coil is just lingering effects of that knee injury. And uh, it hasn't been super noticeable. Like, like Drew was saying, you're not looking at him going, wow, this guy looks slow or anything like that. It's, he's, he's keeping up. He's, I, I didn't see him make any bad plays against the sharks. I think, I think he had a couple of decent carry ins and some good passes and stuff. It's not, not flashy stuff. He is capable of doing some flashy things. Like we saw, I think he had a goal against the Islanders in the playoffs last year where everyone was like, Oh wow. Like he can still do that. Um, but I, I mean, he's got, he should have two talented players on his line. And that's, um, that you're really just asking him to be a facilitator and anything else is bonus. Um, 
I, I think he looked pretty decent on the power play. I'm not a huge proponent of him like being on that second power play unit, but I mean, at, at this point, there aren't a whole lot of options. Um, definitely not as deep as last year, but I think overall pretty good. And uh, other player we can evaluate on that second line is Taylor Hall. And I think he's, I mean, he hasn't looked as good as he looked with Krejci last year, but I think he's looked pretty good. Yeah, and again, there's got to be a little bit of room to to adjust there, obviously. Having a, a player like David Krejci dishing that out to you is uh, stepping into a, a pretty near-perfect situation. And, uh, you know, obviously kind of riding that momentum through last season was big. But uh, a little bit of an adjustment here to kind of, you know, hockey such team sport, especially forward-wise, we are constantly working those kind of cycles. And, I mean, there's no better example than the Bruins' first line. They're just, they constantly know where they're where they are and where they're going. Um, it's, it's like they could do it with their eyes closed with how well they know each other on the ice. So that takes a little bit of while to develop for sure. Um, but I think it's, you've seen signs of it early on, which is big. Yeah. I think in, in Taylor's hall case, um, he's been good. I think it's a little similar to coil where I haven't noticed him too much offensively. Yes. He's been creating scoring chances, but you know, not a liability or anything, which I think, especially early on the season, small sample size, first four five, six games, uh, that's kind of a good sign if you know he doesn't look too rusty he looks like he's on top of his game i really loved in the buffalo game when he scored the empty netter he kind of like was slow about it and then like roofed it or something into the net as kind of like like right on the goal line yeah a little fucking I think there was a little salt <laughs> yeah. there i think there's definitely a little salt there i think he was uh, hearing it from uh from the buffalo fans throughout that yeah. one so a little bit so, of a yeah. yeah, I heard somebody I on Twitter say they thought he was going to break out the glove malfunction. So shout out, <laughs> shout out Andrew Ferentz, but our guy Andrew Ferentz who just won't respond to our tweets, man. Yeah, come on, Andrew. We know you're listening. Yeah, who who doesn't respond to our tweets? On a <laughs> Maybe Sunday he's just afternoon. nervous to come on with us. Yeah, on Sunday, we're really tweeting him at prime time. Yeah, we'll 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 go on, on a road on trip to Drew's like kind of demanding tweet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on a uh, Bruins and Bruins road trip uh, up to Alberta. We'll find him. Uh, I'll be in the back seat of his car. And, uh, <laughs> so you waiting for him. Yeah. Better watch be like, hey, that. pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. One more player I want to touch on in this uh, this forward group so far has been Jake DeBrusque. Um, hopefully the, you would say that. the Jake DeBrusque Jake revenge Dunder tour. Cheap. The Jakey D. Dunder cheap revenge tour. We'll be selling t-shirts soon. Um, <laughs> kind of an interesting offseason for him. I feel like the last few years people have, really kind of put that spotlight on him at, you know, this is the season he's really got to break out. This is the year he's got to break out and he hasn't quite been able to do it. Um, was pretty open about it this off season saying he's, he's really trying to go to a fresh start here and just put the, put the pass behind him and, um, you know, hopefully play the best hockey of his career so far. Again, small sample size, but two goals. Um, he's been pretty good. If you look at the fancy stats, he's had a, a pretty solid course. four percentage, that kind of thing. Um, decent possession numbers generating a little bit of offense. I think he's had a, a bit of a jump in his step, which is noticeable. Um, he's one of those players that really thrives off that energy. And uh, he is to Drew's point, very, very noticeable when he's playing well, you can see him buzzing around the ice, kind of like that Craig Smith style that you had mentioned before. Um, and so far we've seen a lot of that from him. One thing I will note is that I believe he is third on the team so far in offensive zone start percentage. That's 69% of his shifts start in the offensive nice. zone. Very nice, but also probably a sign from, um, from really Bruins management and uh, just just trying to get him those opportunities in the offensive zone and and giving him a chance to really be productive where he should be. So um, kind of setting him up for success a little bit there. And, and so far it's worked. Again, nothing outstanding, but a couple of goals so far. Uh, he is such a streaky player, so that's the, really the thing you got to watch out for this year is whether he can build consistently from week to week. But I think overall it's been a promising start for him. Yeah, I, I don't pace think for 41 goals. Yeah, dude, it's it's gonna be great. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that's specifically a Jake DeBrusque thing, the the zone starts, but I, I think it's more of a change in philosophy of what they want to do with that third line. Because one of the complaints over the last I don't know 700 years has been <laughs> that the Bruins don't have depth scoring, and so they bring in a guy like Eric Hollow, likes to push the pace a little bit. Um, and just does not play defense at all. And kind of, if you're making that your center, you're kind of moving away from the philosophy of like, no one's going to score on our third line when they had like the, of two years ago, Charlie Coyle third line. Um, and 
you're moving to like, all right, let's just try and run and gun and see what happens. And then maybe throw a guy like Nick Foligno on that line and see if he can, you know, mitigate some of those issues. Um, and yeah, I, I think Nick Foligno has been hurt a little bit. And so we haven't gotten to see too much of that third line in action, but I haven't been, I think I've, let's see, I, my expectations were very low for Eric Hala, Um, and he hasn't, like wildly surpassed them or anything, but I don't think he's looked bad. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think when it comes to Hall, my expectations uh, were pretty low too. And then I kind of saw people talking like, Oh yeah, he's going to be third line center. Like he's definitely cut out for that. He's real good. I was like, really? Like, I didn't know. I thought he would just be like a, a bottom six guy like who might fourth line winger. <laughs> be a fourth line winger. Yeah, exactly. I think um, Felino, unfortunately on IR right now, um, I think Felino Hala DeBrusque, I, I was lucky enough to be in attendance for that first game and it, it wound up being the only game that I've seen all the way through just because of <laughs> random shit coming up in the middle of the game. Good podcast me. we got here. Great podcast. <laughs> listen um, to us. None of us have watched the games. But I do I do go back and watch the uh, the highlights on YouTube, like the 15 minute, whatever, if I miss something. Um, but I think that line has really high potential once Felino's healthy again. I think uh, there's defensive responsibility and a big offensive upside on that line. I think they all kind of fit the same scheme. Um, and I think DeBrusque, I mean, looking back at last season, something I noticed, you know, he was, I think at that point on the fourth line, he was really desperately trying to hold on to a starting role. Um, and it was towards the end of the regular season, but he was skating like it was playoffs. Like it was playoffs for him. It was that mentality. Like if I don't perform this game, then I'm going home. I'm going down to Providence. I'm going up to the seventh floor or whatever. Um, You're going to take me out back and shoot me. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I think he, uh, I think he's uh, doing good. He's doing good stuff out there. No, but really, I think uh, if I would like to see another 20 goal season, I think he had one a few seasons ago. I think he had like um, 29. Who, yeah, but like 20 plus is what I mean. 27 in 2018 19 in yeah. 68 games. Okay, yeah. So, so I, if we can say that. Like 57 goals. And I, I think <laughs> that's how that was, math works out. I think he was on the uh, second line that season with Preachy. So, uh, yeah. but still, I would love to see him eclipse 20 goals. And I think the way he's been playing, and once uh, Felino's healthy again, too. And you got Hollow there. I think it's a great trio, and he definitely has the uh, potential to hit that. A I think, great trio might be overselling it, but <laughs> a little bit a great, serviceable at the least. I mean, as, as in a, a third line. I'm not saying like they're the erection line, but I think it's a solid trio to have there on the third line. I think it could be a league average third line. That's what you're looking for. And, and, I, think, and, I think playoffs. You see that that line doing some some of that good good. Really do. All right. I think Felino is going to be such a great role player. And then Hall is going to be out there with his long hair. And Jake DeBrusque is just going to be like, I need to score or I'm going to get shot out back. Focus on getting there first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I think Drew kind of touched on it, but what, uh, what would you guys say, you know, is a, is a goal for DeBrusque this year as far as production goes? I mean, obviously he's kind of been relegated to that third line this season. So he's not going to maybe have the ice time that he's seen over the last few seasons, but his season high total was his rookie year. He put up 43 points, uh, 42, 35, and then 14 in the shortened season last year. So uh, a bit of a decline, obviously it's a little unfair with the shortened seasons to be um, comparing those numbers directly, but as a third line player, we're going to say maybe he gets 15 minutes a night or so. That's what it's been so far. I think that's about what we'll see for most of the season. What kind of production do you guys want to set as a, as a benchmark for him? 40 points. I'm thinking 25 goals, 15 assists would be a really nice total for him. Yeah. I think yeah, I 40 think. points is a, a reasonable, not necessarily expectation, but goal. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, like I said, at least 20 goals, uh, points wise, I would say, yeah, around the 40 range. Sounds good. I think he could potentially push 50 depending on if they throw him out there on the power play. Has he been on the second unit? Um, I, I don't so. know. I don't. Feel oh, the... you know what? Prediction here. He's gonna play his way onto the second power play unit. Boom! There goes the dynamite. Uh, I think he's touched unit. a little bit of ice on the power play. It looks like, but not uh, <laughs> just. Not he's just much. touched it. He's reached he's over the dangling, boards. Yeah, he's dangling his foot <laughs> over. Yeah, not uh, not Water too much as far like as power Horton. play as time goes so far. But 
um, an option that the Bruins have potentially to, to slot in there if, uh, you know, Cassie likes to play around with lines not quite as much on the power play. Um, He's on but, the second power play unit. Uh, he is. Or, okay, at least, much. or at least was in the last game. I think uh, it was DeBrusque, Hollis, Nika, and then Grizzlick Riley on the uh, – but um, – yeah, I mean, Charlie Coyle was on that too, so I don't know if this is accurate. We'll get to the defense in just a second. The goaltending, which I think might be our, our most interesting point of, of discussion, but first I believe Drew has something to say completely off the cuff about DraftKings. Off the cuff. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, Sweat. has you covered. New customers can feel... The Duh. sweat <laughs> like never before and can bet just $5 on any $5. NFL team on any NFL team to win their game. And win their do, game. you win $200 in free bets, free bets, free bets, winner, winner, chicken dinner, chicken dinner. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long. DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Millions. First deposit. Dollars. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200. 200 Cash. And free bets, not cash. It's actually if not they, cash. <laughs> if they win, you win with promo code THPN. Promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 rager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling details. Call 1-800-GAMBLA. And if you're in Indiana, just deal with it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the joke there for any listeners is that there used to be a, an Indiana separate line, and that was recently deleted from the script, so I'm not sure. Maybe Indiana it doesn't exist anymore. I think they realized that it was just really annoying to have a separate phone line just for one state, and maybe they just like forwarded that phone to one <laughs> to another one. This is a good question, Julia. Is Indiana still a real state? Are they like? Is there gambling issues there? She said yes. So oh, how does Julia she, in there? Julia left Indiana. So like, how does she know if it yeah, exists? Yeah, exactly. Or not? Oh, you're right. She left there, so she's not there. She doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, actually, when she left is when they took the gambling number, like it makes you wonder. Indiana out. So, yeah, it, it really does. It, it makes you wonder. Uh, all right. Well, wondering aside, let's uh, let's talk a little bit of defense so far. Um, the defense living and dying by up and coming staff. I don't even want to call him up and coming at this point because he's just here. He's a, he's a freight train, Charlie McVoy. As a true number one defenseman for the Bruins, this could be the year, hopefully, that he finally gets considerable Norris tension after being robbed last year. Um, Pretty good start for him. A couple of assists. Obviously, his game is a lot more than just offensive production, but uh, he was dominant in just about every category last year. How are you guys feeling so far about the the stallion of Charlie McAvoy? Uh, Yeah, I think... Uh, Charlie McAvoy's stallion, you know, he rides it to the rink every day. No, um, Chucky's been great. Chucky's Norris material. I think he was last year. I was surprised he wasn't in the top three, at least last year. I think he's a shoe in for that top three. If he's playing, obviously small sample size still, but if he's playing the way that he has been and is expected to, um, I think that's great. And I also think that big contract signing is probably, I mean, I don't know how that, I've never been paid that much. I mean, DraftKings, come on, pay up. Uh, you know, I haven't well, been paid. Uh, we've only been paid like half that much <laughs> I think, this uh, year. <laughs> you know, I've never made $9.5 million a year, but I think when you have that, it's definitely a little bit of a confidence boost that your team really believes in you that much in a long-term deal like that. Like, yes, you are the future of this team. You're one of the players 
Pasternak included in that, that we're going to be building this team around in future years as Bergeron and Marshawn fall out. Um, and they're going to have a big fallout. They're going to. Yeah. Just... Big, big fight, big, big breakup uh, locker room and... brawl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've really liked what I've seen so far. He just, I, I feel so confident when he's out there. I feel really confident when he has the puck on his stick. Uh, I just, I rarely worry about a turnover or anything happening. Like I can sometimes have in the back of my head when I'm watching other defensemen bring up the puck. Um, Don't he's you just dare such, he's just an Mikey incredible, Riley. I was saying John Moore, but uh, he's just a really incredible two way defenseman. Um, really, I, I know when they drafted him, had high potential, were really high hopes. Um, I think he's definitely hit that high expectation, uh, if not exceeded it. Um, just, Hope he keeps plugging away at it. I'm really liking what I'm seeing. Yeah. yeah, small small sample so far this year. So I think most of that opinion um, that I agree with comes from last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was kind of including that in th- this this year. I, I think he's looked fine. I don't think he's been like the the big stud on campus where it's like, oh, this is the guy on the ice that you need to watch. But yeah, I mean, I think he's he's had some plays where it's been like, yeah, that's, that's a play that a number one defenseman makes. Um, I, I fully expect him to be in the Norris conversation. Like you said, Drew, he should have been last year. Um, the, I don't think there was much in the way of him being in that top three. I don't know if he would have won it. If, oh, if like, I mean, I know he wouldn't have won it, but I mean, like if, if all the smart people voted, I still don't think he would have won it. I think uh, Adam Fox deserves that. But um, I, I think, I don't know if this is the year he wins the Norris. I, I think he still needs to evolve that second part of his game. Um, I, I don't think putting him on the power play is magically going to make him score a whole bunch because he hasn't been very good on the power play in, in the times. He's been responsible and he hasn't. he just hasn't been like a big pusher of scoring when he's been on the power play and yeah you're gonna luck into a few points when you're <laughs> just feeding david Pasternak the puck but um i think he's he's a good player on that power play in terms of controlling possession making sure that you're not giving up the puck um i, I don't know if he's kind of evolved that part of his game where he's become really aggressive but i have seen some of that at even strength so far this year where he's really jumped into the offense and I've kind of been surprised to see um, where he'll be like up in front of the net. He'll be down below the dots and just um, things that are encouraging to see from a guy who has mostly been a kind of transition defender so far in his career. Um, And I I don't want to base too many opinions off of four games, but I think based on last year, um, plus him just being like a young player just entering his physical prime. Um, yeah, the dude's going to be a stud, and like I don't expect to see him. I think the, the number one thing is that the contract he signed didn't make him super lazy all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> kind of on that note, I think a lot of – it depends on the player for sure, but I think a lot of times uh, when you – not that McAvoy was going into like a true UFA contract year or anything like that, but I think there's kind of that narrative that players who are heading toward free agency play with a little bit of extra pizzazz to try to get that big contract, especially when you're talking about somebody like McAvoy who is young and, and primed for, you know, really entering those those great years of his career and already has the talent to be a, a true number one center and a potential Norris Trophy candidate at 24 years old. Um, but I think there's there's some credit to kind of Drew's point before where signing that contract going into this season, kind of a weight off his shoulders. I mean, I remember when this kind of thing was happening with Tory Crew a couple of years ago, how constantly he was being asked about it and contract extensions and that sort of things. And it starts to weigh on you after a while, especially when you get later in the season and that sort of thing. Um, as Chris has famously brought up many times in this podcast, hockey players don't like moving their shit. And uh, Charlie Charlie McAvoy has a home in Boston that he seems to really love. Obviously, there's a, there's a mutual um, respect and kind of a fit between him and the organization, the fan base. It's kind of a picture-perfect start to a career so far for the most part. 
Um, and I think kind of having that contract under his belt is, is going to be a, a nice weight off his shoulders and kind of a boost of confidence. Like Drew said that, you know, in case there was any doubt, he is the defenseman of the future. He is the, the center of this team moving forward, especially on the defensive side and having that kind of out of the way would be helpful. And uh, yeah, certainly has not been lazy. If you look at, uh, you know, obviously like, like, like Chris said, I don't think there's been anything outstanding that's jumped out. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe he did that. But you look at how well the Bruins are using him so far. He's averaging about three and a half minutes more of ice time than the next highest person, Mike Riley. Uh, McAvoy averaging 23, 25 of ice through the first four games. Mike Riley coming in second in 1946. So obviously the Bruins are leaning on him. Not only to be somebody who produces and is reliable defensively, but also as somebody who can just purely eat minutes. And, and like Drew said, you don't have to really worry too much when he's on the ice. You know, you're going to get shut down defense. You know, you're going to be able to move the puck up the ice. Dude, he eats minutes and he stores some in his cheeks for later. Exactly. That's why he's got him there. But, um, and yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of that discussion we're having is based on last year and, and him being really robbed of that top three nomination. Um, fancy stats. If you look at a uh, hundred percentile and wins above replacement. Yeah, he, was, he was the best defenseman in the league. Yeah. 99% even straight stats. offense, 89% even strength defense, 99% percentile penalty, penalty kill. 80th percentile in assists per 60, or at least primary assists per 60. The thing that held him back, like Chris mentioned, was 15th percentile on the power play, just not somebody who is going to naturally be offensively driven, um, at least on the power play. I mean, obviously, he's such a great puck mover, but that doesn't necessarily translate into scoring. It translates into what you really do need out of a defenseman, which is getting the puck from your net or behind it into their end, which he is very good at. And, you know, obviously with him kind of stepping into that role a little bit more on the power play now, um, not necessarily the the primary target with Mike Riley around, um, but as somebody who at least is going to be relied on here and there on the power play, uh, you want to see those numbers bump up a little bit. And if they do, I think you are going to hear some very serious conversations about him in the Norris Trophy conversation this year. So speaking of uh, transitioning the puck, man, Matt Grizzlick, that dude. He's been incredible so far. Yeah, he knows how to transition a puck. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about point totals or whatever. I haven't looked at his uh, offensive stats, but I think the thing that you notice most when you watch him on the ice is that dude makes some insane moves, both with and without the puck, in his own defensive zone to make sure that that puck gets going the other way. Um, I know Colin, uh, aka Spoke Z posted a bunch of videos of him just deking players like four checkers out of their shoes and uh, just skating the puck or passing the puck up. And I, I think there, there was the foreboard experience experiment with, with McAvoy. And I, I think just having Grizzly and McAvoy on that top pairing together is just what's supposed to happen. Like all of the fancy stats say Grizzly looks excellent. And all of the eye tests, says Grizzly looks excellent. Um, I think that's, that's your first pairing moving forward. Yeah. Just to bounce off of that. Cause I, I wrote a little bit about this earlier surprise. I know um, McAvoy and Grizzly last season as a defensive pairing first in the entire NHL in shots, for percentage second in shots against second in total goals against second in goals, for percentage high danger scoring percentage chances, just, the best the best defensive line in the NHL when they were clicking together last year. Um I was I surprised Bruins, to find out that there's like a faction of Bruins fans that don't think Grizzly belongs on the first line. Yeah, I mean it, you know, there's there's no there's no sense to that. It's it's it passes the eye test, it passes the statistics and analytics chat test. It's a no brainer. Um I think that's why the Bruins signed somebody like Forbert who can kind of play up and down the lineup and and obviously McAvoy is so good that he can shield guys who aren't quite true first liners, but having a guy like Grizzly who really does step into that role and, and meshes so well with McAvoy, that's another thing. I mean, we talked about it with the forwards, but having a defensive partner who, you know, is reliable and who you just play well with. I mean, they could both be good players, but if they're not playing a similar style and that sort of thing, you can run into issues, but those two play so well together. And uh, like Chris said, I think it, if you can make it work down the lineup elsewhere, I think you have to really consider going at those two at, as the top line. Cause especially when you pair them with, with the Bergeron line, it's just, it's so dominant. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Grizz has looked great and definitely is deserving of that top spot. Um, 
I, I did. They went very quickly from putting Forbert there uh, with McAvoy and then being like, you know what? Nah, nah, you, you, you're your third pair guy. Um, I, I, I am still worried about the Bruins depth at D. I don't really want a third pair of Forbort and uh, John Moore. Um, really hope that that doesn't 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 keep going on. Um, How do you feel about kind of Clifton? Give me Cliffy or give me death. Yeah, I was going to say, there's uh, a little bit of bias hanging in there. It's actually but... the saying in New Hampshire now. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I still would prefer Clifton to John Moore, but um, I, I would prefer a stronger third defenseman uh, or third pair there. If you don't need to have Clifton on your third pair, then then they're in a good spot. Um, that's my that's my bias aside. Uh, but, you know, Connor Clifton's going to get the Game 7 Stanley Cup winning goal, so it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if assuming they are a playoff team, um, obviously early in the season, nothing's guaranteed, especially in hockey, but assuming they were to make the playoffs and be buyers at the trade deadline, uh, defense is definitely where they'd be bulking up. Uh, I mean, sure. You could ask for a little more depth on offense. Um, you could ask for, you know, a David Krejci going for a, uh, like a seventh round pick at the trade deadline. I, I meant it, David Krejci equivalent. Um, but yeah, defense is really where they'd need to bulk up. And I think when it comes to a long postseason uh, and long series, uh, that that's when the depth really shows what they got, whether they're there or not. And I'm worried about that defense because, I mean, McAvoy can eat up minutes, but if he's playing 25 every other night in in the playoffs, that can start to eat away at you. Sometimes you need to drop him to 22 for a game, 21, uh, to make sure, you know, he's not getting in over his head out there. Yeah, just to bounce off that, I think really good point there. Um, I don't think Brandon Carlo has been especially good so far. And uh, as we've been like the caveat of it's only been four games, um, but I'm my feelings on Carlo have kind of been made known. Like I think he's been pretty much invisible and I don't think he's as good as people think he is. But I think when you're looking at the type of players that the Bruins are going to look to add at the trade deadline, if they're in uh, contention, um, it'll be kind of like uh, the, the lightning went after David Savard last year and kind of get those like really solid defensive players um, and could potentially bump a guy like Brandon Carlo down in the in the lineup, and it, suddenly your third pairing looks way better if Brandon Carlo's your third pairing right D. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that's that's a thing where if you can skate, not no pun intended, if you can skate through the season with this defensive core and still make the playoffs, like get to the trade deadline and and make a big move like that, um, I think you're in really good shape. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because the left side was everyone was focused. We need left <laughs> side. We need left side. Now it's like John Moore's on the right side. Oh no, get him up! <laughs> it's the Mike Riley effect, though. And I, exactly. I definitely think like I could see if they were to make a big move and moving Carlo down to that third pair. Also, knowing he's going to be one of your top guys on the PK too um, is good. That's going to help him with his his minute management, I suppose. And then, you know, Cassidy loves to juggle it up and, you know, situational for defensive zone face-off, throw Carlo out there for an offensive zone face-off. Uh, don't throw John Moore out there. Um, <laughs> All right, any other any other defensive notes or you want to you swap it over to goaltending here? Only other thing I got... Defensive. Yeah, only other thing I got is uh, I really love the Grizzlick-Riley pairing on the second power play unit i think that's awesome just like the the puck moving between those two guys and whatever random shit they have on in the forward unit just like it looks so much better than whatever the second unit was last year absolutely all right uh moving on to goaltending 23-year-old Jeremy Swayman and 28-year-old Linus Omark, you put their ages together and you coincidentally get Zidane Ochara's age uh the Bruins (laughs) <laughs> biggest question mark probably Maybe this year. Bears Bruins goalie, Sedano <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not drawing that line. But, um, yeah, obviously pr- probably the, the biggest Bruins question mark going into this season. Uh, maybe maybe the Krejci second line. But I think a goaltending without Rask has got to be bigger. Um, kind of a colliding storyline. Uh, you sign a goaltender who you hope to probably be your starter in Linus Olmark, 20 million over the next four years. But you've also got a, a young goalie who – 
is uh, really breaking out and obviously a, a small sample size from last season into the next, but uh, already confident enough that they traded away Dan Vladar and are going with Jeremy Swayman as the guy of the future here. Uh, Omar had a bit of a shaky preseason after adjusting a little bit from Buffalo so far, he's been fantastic. Uh, each of them have played two games so far. Omar, um, I thought was, was great in the first two and, and Swayman had a very strong opener before finally being proven human and getting up more than three goals in an NHL game, uh, with a five to th- or a six to three loss to Philly, which I believe he only gave up five. I think six was the empty netter, right? Yeah, it was an empty netter. Yeah. So, um, you know, goals against save percentage stats, two games don't matter too much. But uh, how are you guys kind of feeling about that tandem now that we're seeing it in action for uh, for real this season? Do you think the the one A one B dreams that Bruins fans have until Tugaras comes back are, are going to be realized here? Do you think there's going to be a little bit of trouble in paradise? So I have some interesting thoughts, and and this is kind of uh, it wasn't necessarily like the thing that I envisioned happening. Sans Tugarask. like it also it's been four games, but. Um, I think one of the most underappreciated things about Tuca and one of the biggest criticisms about him was that like, he doesn't make the big saves when it matters or whatever, but the most underappreciated thing was that he made saves when you thought they didn't matter. And then you see Linus Olmark go out there and give up a couple of late third period goals and really bring the sharks back into the game. And those are goals that Tuca didn't usually give up because he's not a guy who spaces out. He's a guy who's a hundred percent focused all the time. Doesn't care what the score is. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's what's happening with Linus Olmark, but I mean, it's, it's a veteran presence that you can't really put a dollar sign on. Um, and I think that's going to be something that's frustrating with both a rookie goaltender and kind of an unproven guy like Linus Olmark where, that that's kind of the big difference is uh, guys who are able to be that consistent, no matter what the scoreboard says. Yeah. I think uh, I, I haven't gotten really a chance to talk about all Mark, but in the last episode, we kind of talked our thoughts about Swayman, you and I, Chris uh, cam was, you know, busy trying to pay bills and live a happy life or whatever. Uh, fuck that guy. Um, just kidding. Cam love you. Uh, but Swayman, that first game shows you, you know, him at his best. That second game shows you he's a young guy who still needs to adjust and, um, and and get to that point where he was in the first game. So he's really somewhere in between those two performances. Um, for Olmark, uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, I mean, I thought, you know, I thought he was going to be the starter this season, uh, even with a little bit of a rough preseason. Um, I didn't think they, you know, Swayman would just usurp the spot within three games or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, that win in Buffalo definitely looked like a man on a mission there. I think it was, what, 35 saves. Um, and then the game against San Jose, also also a, a strong performance. So um, I, I'm thinking that it, it's been four games, but... Um, can we stop calling the San Jose game a strong performance? I feel like you guys both said that he got two like pretty soft goals. <laughs> okay. But I think still they won, you know, it's the win, the stat, the win stat. He's in the win yeah. column. Famously you know? huge fans, of the win stat here. No, but I, don't, I mean, I don't think he was like dreadful, you know, I think. No, he wasn't bad. Um, and he played, he played pretty well through the first two periods. So I think I- I'm, Right now, with that small sample size, I'm thinking Olmark starter, Swayman backup, but I could totally see Swayman improving into that 1B role if he can get going. But like I said in the last episode, you can't really expect consistency from a young guy like Swayman. Olmark will see if consistency can be there. I mean, the guy's experience is playing in Buffalo where the only consistency is fucking losing. So um, we'll see what he can do with a, well, I was going to say a great defense, but, you know, Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick kind of Brandon Carlo and then fucking John Moore. Um, uh, Mike Riley. Mikey Riley, <laughs> Mikey Riley guy. Yeah, no, I mean, Mikey, Mike Riley's there. I mean, he, he didn't deserve a, a McAvoy tribute and he didn't deserve a kind of, so he's in between there. For me. I, Mike Riley's your third best defenseman, by the way. I hate to break it to you. Brandon oh, well, no, no, I, 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 I agree. <laughs> I agree. 
I think from an all-around standpoint there, I agree. I think Carlos, I mean, maybe not this season, but a really solid defensive one-way kind of guy. But um, anyway, we're on goalies at this point. Uh, yeah, Allmark, <laughs> like what I've seen. We'll see if Swayman can be, can become that 1B. But right now I think it's uh, one Allmark. Yeah, I think uh, plenty of credence to what Chris said too. I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to dog the guy too much because it was one third period and you know, the numbers so far have been good again through two games. So throw an asterisk on there or whatever, but um, just kind of the note that, that Chris had about RAS reliability and you know, that being something that the Bruins are going to miss this year, which we've talked about plenty over the last off season since uh, it became apparent that this was going to be the situation. Um, that's going to be, you know, something that's not, penciled in necessarily for the Bruins all season long. And uh, I think even as confident as you can be in these two, I think there's, there's a high ceiling for them. You have to kind of temper those expectations a little bit, even if they do start to perform at a, at a pretty high level, because they're, you just don't have that reliability that you've had for the last decade. Um, and, you know, a goaltending is such a weird ride the wave streaky thing that even three months into the season, if it's going well, there's, there's the potential for change. And I think, Right now, the idea of of Ras kind of riding in as the the cavalry over the horizon is a is a nice peace of mind thing, and we'll see how feasible that is in a few months once it starts to become a little bit more in the in the present timeline. But um, that's going to remain a question mark for this team throughout the season. I mean, again, I I like what Omar's put in over the last few years in Buffalo. Again, certainly not a winning culture or much defensive help on his side, and he certainly had the stats to prove that he was ready to make a bigger jump somewhere else, but actually fulfilling that destiny is, is another thing. So um, he's going to be scrutinized, especially with, you know, not that he, the Bruins gave him a huge contract, but he was signed to be their starter at the end of the day. And, and having somebody breathe down his neck obviously is, is good for internal competition, but um, can be a little unsettling. I, I think so far from what I've seen, at least publicly, the two have gotten along really well and it seems to be a, a true tandem there, which is good. Um, but Certainly a question mark to follow throughout the throughout the season here for the Bruins and especially over the next couple of weeks to see whether they do kind of stick with this 1A, 1B, 60-40 kind of thing or whether there is going to be a, a true dedicated starter and somebody else who's kind of filling in the gaps. But I honestly think it's going to be neither. I, I really like the what Cassidy's done so far in the first four games uh, is ride the hot hand all season. So like if... If Olmark has like two tough games in a row, maybe he goes to swimming for a few games and like that. It doesn't have to be a one A one B type thing. It can be like this week, this guy's the one, and then this week on Boston Bruins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's my that's my ideal situation. I think that's what Cassidy's going with right now. I hope I'm not misreading that, but yeah. I think that I think he's, I think he's that's throwing like. darts at a dartboard. Just you can like whichever name. <laughs> <laughs> It's working so far. So, uh, yeah, obviously, long, long term here, that becomes a little bit of a sticky situation once you get closer to the playoffs. Um, But who knows? You know, at that point, I I was I was kind of talking to my brother earlier about the Bruins and catching him up because he's been kind of a casual fan of the last few years and wants to get into it more this year. And kind of the point I said is that it's a podcast that he could listen to. He he did actually mention he was going to plan on not listening to our podcast, but uh, no, I'm (laughs) just kidding. but I, I, this is a very feasible situation here. If the Bruins make the playoffs, they could be going into it with one of three goaltenders, or maybe a fourth. Who knows? But um, you know, at the now end of the Kaiser season, fans stand up. Yeah. Um, at the end of the season, you could see Linus Olmark, Jeremy Swayman, or potentially Tuukka Rask leading this team into the playoffs, which is crazy to think about right now. That kind of variability and still kind of penciling them in as a playoff team, but. Um, you know, best case scenario here, the Bruins have too many good options and, and that's a problem that's good to have down the road. But worst case scenario, they're running out of any options really or any good options. So um, I think realistically, it'll probably fall a little bit between that. Uh, somebody's going to come back down to earth a little bit, but um, definitely an interesting scenario as far as where the identity of, of the crease is throughout the, the next few months for sure. Before we sign off, I have an interesting question. What uh, you got? Could pr- probably really easy, easily Google this. Uh, does Linus Solmark have a no trade clause? I don't um, think so because he signed it with the. I mean, if it was, it was like it's listing a team, not an outright. 
Yeah, he might have a no trade back to Buffalo clause, but <laughs> yeah, let me see. That's a pretty good clause to have, though. To be I honest, don't think I think every so. every player should automatically have that. I don't see anything listed on. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, like, so. I don't. I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think he's going to get moved this year. But if there's a situation where you do have those three goaltenders, um, it's a little tough to trade goalies because mo- for the most part, teams that are in playoff contention aren't looking to sign a goalie because. Uh, what's up, Drew? Um, he does have a no trade clause. So first two seasons of the contract, the season next season, no movement. Then it's a modified no trade clause. So 2023-24, six team no trade list, 2024-25-15. Okay. No trade so one of the things I was gonna say is you know, if if this does work out and he starts playing really well, but Swayman emerges as like the prince who was promised, um then that becomes a pretty movable contract. Five million is not a whole lot. And there are always teams at the beginning of seasons looking for goaltending. Yep. So is the free the, agent, the free agent market is never like lucrative for. Yeah. And I, I think in general, um, you know, $5 million for a potential starting goalie is not a, a whole lot. Um, I, I think it was, when when the signing was made, it seemed kind of questionable because it was like, all right, well, either you're going to go with Swayman and like give him the full workload or, you know, sign somebody for like a one year deal, um, like a, a veteran or something to make sure you have some stability there. But yeah, I, I honestly, like even if it doesn't work out, I think pretty reasonable gamble. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm again kind of what we've been saying over the offseason, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the a, a different goaltending plan again than the Bruins have had for much of the last decade. But I think uh, one that the changing of the guard has to happen at some point, and this seems like it has the potential to be relatively smooth. So um, definitely some question marks. That is by no means a guarantee, but you definitely could foresee a situation where. Um, things work out here for the Bruins at kind of just the right time with Jeremy Swayman stepping up. So um, like everything else, it's a, a storyline to follow throughout the season. We love Swayman. We Feel the love Swayman. And-